0: You know, I gather from watching um various uh, you know, bits and pieces about you and Black Sabbath and Heaven and Hell that you were quite close to and perhaps one of the closest people to Ronnie James Dio. Um and I think most people realise that he was one of the good guys, wasn't he, in the world of um rock and metal perhaps in particular. Uh, he was very
1: fa-
0: very fan orientated, wasn't he, Geezer? Um, you know, he thought a lot of um making sure the fans were sort of sorted out.
1: He absolutely loved the fans like nobody else I've, I've ever known. I mean, he'd literally—if there was like one fan left at the gig—and he'd like talk to them to two or three o'clock in the morning, which is why, <coughs> which is why we had separate buses. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he really loved fans. I remember on that last tour that we did, I turned up at the hotel. Was, uh, I think it was in Finland or up in Scandinavia somewhere. And uh, we were looking for Ronnie, and we found him outside with about 20 fans sitting outside at a table, talking to them and having a drink with them. You know, and you don't get many people that would do that before a show.
0: Not before a show, certainly, no. So he was really like a one-off, but I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I I know there's a story that when he was with Rainbow, he, um, I think Richie Blackmore had long left the building. Ronnie James Dio... Basically, stay back for a couple of hours. You know, it it just demonstrates, I think, the the measure of the person, doesn't it? That yeah, they used
1: to do it every night, like you know, yeah. meet and greet and stuff. Me and Tony and uh, me and Tony would go in there and you know do your duty kind of thing, talk to people for about half an hour, and then we'd leave for the next gig. But Ronnie would just stay there until the last fan had actually left the building. He it was, it was incredible with his fans. He always yeah. loved them
0: really genuine now i mean you must be asked this a load of times and you may have different answers for different people but are there any is there any one sort of occasion that you can you know remember really from your days w- with ronnie james on tour or whatever in the studio where you know um uh, basically just an illustration of what he was like or something that you remember particularly about his um you know your personal relationship with him really
1: um, well, he was always great to go and have a drink with, you know, his, his conversation was all, he always had something to talk about, and, um, I particularly got on well with him because we were both sports fanatics, and we both love reading books, you know, so mm. we'd always have something to talk about, <laughs> and he knew more about English football than most English people do.
0: Was he a bit of an Anglophile, really? Yeah, I
1: mean, his wife's uh, from England, yeah. and... If you see in his house, you'd think it was in the middle of uh, the countryside in Cotswolds or something. Completely done out in, uh, you know, as an English uh, sort of mini castle kind of thing. He loved English stuff.
0: Oh, it's great, isn't it? And uh, he must have loved actually being in England and recording or, or or playing dates, you know.
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, you know, we did the last the uh, last album down in Monmouth, um, the Devil, you know. Because, you know, we always liked to hang out in England. He, he used to like going down to the pubs and stuff there.
0: <laughs> I know, mean, that's a simple memory, isn't it, really, going to the pub? But it's such, it means such a lot when you've lost someone like that, you know. it's uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: And, like, sometimes he'd invite people, you know, while we were in Monmouth recording the album, he'd invite, he'd go down to the pub and then come back with, like, about ten people from the pub <laughs> and um, carry on talking to them at the, uh, at the house we were at.
0: Yes. But I gather, um, Giza, that obviously in the studio he was bang on, you know... Um, oh, yeah. yeah. He
1: had such incredible patience in the studio yeah.
0: that,
1: until something was, like, you know, 100% right. Yes. He'd never accepted anything that wasn't 100%. I mean, he, he, And he always had incredible ideas about the music. He was always like, you know, well, what about trying it this way, trying it that way? And he didn't do it in a... Like some producers, you get you know they keep nagging you and you get fed up with them but he always came out with these uh, ideas that you'd try and um, sometimes he'd come out he'd think of things that you'd never have thought of yourself kind of thing Mm. and the same with him you know you could tell him stuff and he'd give it a try and if he was stuck on lyrics you know he'd talk about it and it was great
0: I mean you played um, Southie played High Voltage in July and that marked a bit of an end point for Heaven and Hell Um, but I assume you'll still continue to work with Tony Iommi even if it's not called Heaven and Hell I mean I presume there's still that relationship and that you'll maybe get together in the future
1: yeah well hopefully you know I mean I saw Tony about three or four weeks ago went round to his studio when I was over in England and you know he was playing me some of the stuff he was working on and it's you know we've got a great relationship like, like that he'll play me stuff you know just to keep up with what he's doing and I'll give him my opinions about it, or he'll give me his opinion about the stuff that I'm doing. So you know, it's good. we've got a good re- working relationship, and you know, we're all we're always going to be friends.
0: Yes, yeah. Because I imagine there's a there's some sadness, obviously, with with heaven and hell, because. Basically, you you didn't get really together till I think it was 2006, so it was quite a short-lived project, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and it was going so incredibly well, you know, as well, because we'd had um, had a European tour booked for uh, this past summer, and of course, you know, Ronnie passed away before we could do it. Yes. And so we were really looking forward to touring again, because the... the, um, The you know tour was cut short because Tony hurt his hand and he had to go and have uh, operations on his hand. So uh, we were looking forward to continuing that tour. Uh, We still had another leg of the American tour to do, which we would had to postpone because of Tony's hand. And we still had uh, like a six-week European tour to do in the summer. And then Ronnie got that illness and um, that was the end of it and we were we had loads of uh, stuff that we hadn't recorded yet, so we were looking forward to doing um, the follow-up to The Devil You Know album.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is such a shame, really.
1: It was going really great for us.
0: Yes, yeah, that's right. So there's a double tragedy in a way, isn't it? You know, the passing of one person and, uh, you know, the band as well. But um, talking about, I mean, in relation to the Live at Wacken project, I mean, is there anything else... In the pipeline from you know the days when you were all together, you know recordings or um, anything that's likely to to be released in the future.
1: No, there was like two or three songs that we had, but Ronnie Ronnie wasn't satisfied with them, and I'd hate to put out something that you know Ronnie wasn't 100% satisfied with at the time. You know he wasn't. I he wouldn't put out something that he wasn't 100% satisfied with.
0: No, no,
1: and you know this stuff there but um just you know i think it would be an insult to Ronnie's memory really to put something out that he would never have put out if he'd have been alive yeah exactly